This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Welcome to the Heartland Seuss Daily Podcast. I'm Sterling Burnett, Director of the Arthur B. Robinson Center on Climate and Environmental Policy. I was at a meeting hosted by the Institute for Policy Innovation in Dallas that they run each month, and I ran into my old colleague, indeed supervisor, Dr. Merrill Matthews, Jr., resident scholar with IPI who also serves as a policy advisor to the Heartland Institute. Although he and I didn't find time to catch up, among the materials provided to those in attendance was a recent article he wrote that ran in The Hill, discussing the impact of third-party candidates on national elections. Although this is outside the usual scope of my podcast topics, I thought it interesting and important, and so I asked Merrill to come on the show. Merrill, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me, Sterling. So, uh, Merrill, before we jump into the topic of the impact of third-party candidates historically and what the impact might be in this election... For our listeners who may not be familiar with you, please tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and how you came to work on public policy and at the Institute for Policy Innovation and what it is. Well, you know, I uh, I went through college thinking I probably would end up being a professor somewhere. So my undergraduate is in economics, my my uh, master's is in theology, and my Ph.D. is in humanities, and I started teaching philosophy for a while, much like you were engaged in philosophy. But uh, in my um, uh, doing my internship for my Ph.D., most of, most of my uh, fellow students did uh, teaching assistantships. I did a, a stint at a think tank called the National Center for Policy Analysis, which was just up and running. That was back in 1983. And uh, when I went there, they had me working on health care issues, Medicare especially. Did that stint, went back, finished up the Ph.D., and I got a call in the early 90s saying, what are you doing? Why don't you come run our Center for Health Policy Studies at the National Center for Policy Analysis? So in 1992, I started in the think tank world, and I've been there ever since. So it wasn't, I I thought I would be teaching philosophy or humanities. I ended up being in public policy, working on a range of different public policy issues. And since that time, I've... uh, uh, I, I left the NCPA at one point and uh, have been with the Institute for Policy and Innovation for now 23 years. And what is the Institute for Policy Innovation? Well, we were a think tank started by Dick Armey in 1987, and when he became a majority leader of the House of Representatives in 1995, he uh, severed his ties with the organization because he didn't. He, he's in leadership now, and he doesn't want to sort of affect uh, have an overflow on the uh, on the think tank. So he's not really been around for I guess uh, 30 years now for uh, for us, nearly 30 years. So we've continued, but we have we tend to. We followed in his uh, vision of limited government, low taxes, minimal regulations, essentially a free market approach, and we tend to focus primarily on uh, economic issues at the think tank. I, I write a weekly column for The Hill. I have more freedom to do things in that range, but typically the think tank itself focuses on economic issues. Yeah. Well, speaking of The Hill, Merrill, uh You had an article recently, and it it brought something to mind. So this country is nearing 250 years old, yet in your article, you only cite four presidential elections 
when third parties had an impact. All in the 20th or 21st century. So why do you think that is? You know, did, because I know in the past, uh, I, I, I guess I'm not familiar enough with past elections, but I know at least some of them, you had maybe not third parties, but you had new parties arise that replaced old parties entirely. So tell us a little bit about uh, why the two-party system has uh, become so prominent and what happened in the past. You know, it's very interesting because initially the founders didn't anticipate a party system. They didn't. They they felt that was a uh, factions, and they wanted to try to avoid that. So George Washington was considered not a member of a party. It was so a nonpartisan election, though really he was. I mean, he was generally in the Federalist camp. But after Washington, you had you start you started the split with John Adams being in the Federalist camp and. Uh, Thomas Jefferson being what they called the Democratic Republican. And uh, since that time, uh, we've really had only about four or five major parties, depending upon how you count them. So Jefferson started the, uh, had the Democratic Republican Party. When Andrew Jackson came along, that just became the Democratic Party. So from Thomas Jefferson through today, you had essentially the Democratic Party. Adams, the Federalist Party, uh, basically went away. You had a new party breaking off from that Democratic-Republican Party called the uh, National Republicans, which wasn't related to Republicans. That lasted for a couple of uh, elections. Then you had the Whigs come in for about five or six elections. And really, with the Republican Party starting in 1856 and with the election of Lincoln in 1860, since that time, You've essentially had a two-party system that was either Republican or Democrat, with occasional, maybe four or five times since that time, that you've had a major breakout of a third-party person. But it's been remarkable how consistent the parties have been. And there have been several third parties uh, pop up, but none of them have really caught on since Lincoln. Yeah, I mean, the Libertarian Party has been around since the 70s. Uh, yes. got, got the first electoral vote for a woman, by the way. Everyone thinks that Geraldine Ferraro got that, but that's wrong. Uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it was a single vote. They didn't win the election. But uh, you're talking about third parties that actually had an impact. So right. uh, what are the four elections you discussed in your paper where third parties have impacted the election? Describe how or why the third party candidate rose and what impact they had, if you could, please. Okay. Uh, starting with, I'd start with Teddy Roosevelt in 1912. So uh, when William McKinley, who was president of the United States, was assassinated, um, Teddy Roosevelt was his vice president. He took over. Uh, he ran for re-election in 1904 and won that pretty handily. But he had promised that he wouldn't run for another term, sort of, that, that was a trend of following in Washington, that you'd only be in for two terms. And then responsible people who didn't want to look like they were more important than Washington <laughs> would step down then after that and not run again. So that's what Teddy Roosevelt did. William Howard Taft became the president. and uh, But by 1912, Roosevelt had been moving much more progressive, and he was he was not happy that the Republican Party wasn't becoming as progressive as he was. So he decided to jump back in in the 1912 election, running uh, on what was called the Progressive Party, but uh, basically called the Bull Moose Party for it. That was his nickname. And uh, that was the first major third-party person who really had an impact. Uh, Taft won 23% of the vote, of the popular vote. 
Roosevelt won 27%, so the two of them together ended, <clears throat> ended up essentially splitting the Republican vote. And Woodrow Wilson came in and won with 41.8% of the popular vote, but it was a landslide in the uh, in the Electoral College. So that put Wood, Woodrow Wilson in as president, a Democrat. And what I want to point out in this is that these these third party major third party candidates can have a significant impact. If Teddy Roosevelt hadn't run, uh, then uh, William Howard Taft probably would have won easily, but because Woodrow Wilson comes in, he signs the legislation to create the Federal Reserve Bank, he signs the legislation to create the first income tax, and that was the Revenue Act of 1913, and he had campaigned, Wilson did, on not taking us into the second, uh, the First World War, but he actually did end up entering the uh, First World War in 1917. Whether or not that was a good decision is, is I'll set it aside. But it was interesting that he campaigned against it, but he broke that promise and took us into the war. So that election had a major impact. Then you go to the next major one. There, there were a few other third-party candidates who had a little bit of an impact, but the next major impact was Ross Perot in 1992. I was around what was during that election. And Ross Perot was, in many ways, let's just say he, he had similarities to Donald Trump being a wealthy businessman, never been elected uh, to office, and he saw a number of problems in the country that he wanted to step out. And he was something of a populist in the way he did it. He communicated with people and attracted a lot of people. And he ended up in that election drawing uh, nearly 19% of the vote, George Bush only got 37.4% of the vote, and Bill Clinton in the 1992 election got 43%. So Bill Clinton ended up winning. He had enough uh, electoral votes to win. And the interesting thing about that is people have since then said, well, Ross Perot cost Bush the election. Maybe. It's hard to know. Michael Barone, uh, political analyst, major political analyst, looked at the exit polls and said, you know, when you look at them, Roughly a, a, a portion of the people said they would have voted for, uh, if Ross Perot hadn't been in, they would have voted for uh, uh, Bush. The other part said they would, uh, basically an equal number said they'd vote for Bill Clinton, and part of them said we'd have just stayed home. So we really don't know, but that ended up putting uh, Bill Clinton in the White House and changing the trajectory of things, uh, in part because... There was such a reaction to Bill Clinton and especially Bill Clinton's health care legislation, what we called Hillary Care at the time, that Republicans took control of the House and Senate in 1995 for the first time in decades. And then you had Ralph Nader come in in 2000. That was the election in which Vice President Al Gore was running against George W. Bush, the governor of Texas. Uh, that election came down to the uh, state of Florida, where it was very close. And the what happened there was Ralph Nader ran as a Green Party candidate, and he ended up receiving 97,400 votes in the state of Florida. Well, the election was decided for Bush, who had a majority of 537 votes. And so if the Green Party had not been – if Ralph Nader hadn't run, or if he'd been less effective, almost all of those Green Party votes would have gone for uh, Al Gore, which would have given him the Florida and him the election. And the final one I'll mention was in uh, 2016. Uh, that's where uh, Donald Trump won 
three states that t- Republicans typically don't win. That would be Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan. And he won those uh, three states by very small margins. As it turns out, you had both Gary Johnson, who was former governor of New Mexico, running on the Libertarian Party, and you had um, Jill Stein running as the Green Party candidate. And Jill Stein's, it's hard to know how Gary Johnson's votes would have gone, because he, as a Libertarian, he was he was campaigning essentially on conservative economic issues, but more socially liberal uh, social issues. So if he hadn't been there, we don't know where those votes would have gone. But Jill Stein's votes almost certainly would have gone to Hillary Clinton at that time, and she won by more – her vote – she received more votes in each of those three states than Donald Trump's margin of victory. So you can make the case that Jill Stein actually cost Hillary Clinton the election in 2016. So it's interesting, and that gave us Donald Trump, and now we're, uh, we're at election again. So it's, it's very interesting that some most third-party candidates don't have much of an impact, but a few of them have had a major impact and changed the trajectory of the country. Yeah. So uh... – so the the moral of the story is uh, Obama was right. Elections have consequences. <laughs> Obama was right. Elections have consequences. And it's, uh, it's important that people look at this very, very closely because, you know, there's always this debate about whether or not, you know, if you vote for a third party, are you throwing your vote away because it's almost certainly going to be a Republican or a Democrat who wins. But uh, those things can change over time. And even though we haven't had a new a third party emerge really since uh, the mid 1800s, uh, things can change. And that may happen in this election. So coming to this election, we have an election coming up with multiple candidates within the two major parties, a third party candidate that is stirring consternation among Democrats and a third party also irritating them. Uh, th- that part, you know, so the uh, what Cornell, uh, Cornell, not Cornell, Cornell West, yes, Cornell West is uh, running, uh, and that's made some people mad. But then there's another party that may arise that people have been talking about that the Democrats are saying, please don't do this, please don't do this. I forget what the name of that party is. It's the it's the, it's called they're go they're going by the name the No Labels Party. No Labels Party. Trying yeah, to say, yeah. We're 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 nonpartisan. We are are either nonpartisan or bipartisan, however you want to see it. Right. But they want to say we're not we're not one of the other two parties. Yeah. And so yes, that has caused some real consternation, especially among Democrats, right. because um, with the noble no labels party, they have been they've had several meetings. They've had some major uh, political figures uh, show up, including Joe Manchin, senator Democratic senator of West Virginia. I think uh, uh, Governor Sununu of New, of New Hampshire went there as well. He would be on the Republican side. And they are cons- they're looking and, at the slate of, of candidates that we have out there. Former, Yeah, and former prominent senators and congressmen, uh, Joe Lieberman. Uh, yes. And uh, who, who's the Republican? Joe Lieberman and, and the Republican also uh, are part of this. And so the Democrats don't want them in because they say that their their argument is that will elect Donald Trump. So we'll see. We don't even know if Trump's going to get the the nod. Um, but uh, you've got in the Republicans, the former president and presumptive frontrunner uh, who has rejected a pledge 
uh, to support and not run against whoever the Republican nominee is if it's not him. So mm-hmm. uh, what are your thoughts on this election? You know, do you think these third parties are a threat this time and, and in what way? Well, we don't I'm asking, know I'm asking labels- you to do a bit of handicapping here. Right. We don't know for sure if Noble Labels will put a person up. If it looks like, and and essentially I think their position is, if the choice is between Joe Biden and Donald Trump, they will likely try to run a a third-party ticket. Uh, They'll have to get, because uh, elections are run by the states, they'll have to make sure they can get on the state ballots in every state. That's not an easy task. It can be done. The Libertarian Party and the Green Party have been able to do that. But it's not an easy task to, when you're starting out. So if it is Biden and Trump, um, the uh, it, it, there are so many variables and unknowns in this. You've got four uh, different prosecutions going on against Donald Trump. The one that recently uh, came down from uh, from uh, Georgia would be a state. Uh, would be a state criminal charge. And the interesting thing about that is most of what Donald Trump is, it, most of the threats against Donald Trump are at federal charges. If he were to win the presidency, he, he may be able, it's still a constitutional question, he might be able to pardon himself. If there's, a, there's arguments on both sides of that. If he were to be convicted in the uh, Georgia case and go to jail in Georgia, that's a state uh, charge, and he would not, as president, be able to um, pardon himself. Though, we have had presidents run from jail, uh, run their campaigns from jail in the past, and I wrote a piece uh, for The Hill about this a few months ago, can you run for president from jail? And the answer is yes, you can. We've had a few do that in the year, including Eugene V. Debs back in the 1920s and 30s. So yes, you can be in jail, and, and Lyndon LaRouche, who was a Democratic candidate, ran his presidential campaign from jail back in, I think, the 70s. So... Yeah. Let me ask you something. It, it's it's bizarre how strange this has come. But but you said something that I'm I'm wondering if 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 if, if it's accurate. So you said they have to make all fifty states, but but is that really true? I mean, because as you pointed out, um, Jill Stein had an effect in three key states. If they got on the ballot in just a few states, and they were swing states. The, the no labels party might that not be enough to swing the election one way or the other i mean even if they didn't make all 50 states the green party typically oh, yeah. doesn't make all 50 states uh, sometimes um couldn't it still have an impact on the election absolutely yes the uh the if if the, if no labels wants to win they need to yeah. get on they really need to get on all the states, but even if they got on the vast majority of them, the large majority, they could probably still win if the votes turned out. Uh, you had in the 1968 election, you had uh, George Wallace running on the Amer- for the American Independent Party, very conservative, uh, more segregationist party. They won uh, five states in that, uh, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, and Georgia. Um, but Nixon still had enough votes through the rest of the country to win that election. So they, if a third party candidate, if a serious third party attempt is made in 2024, uh, and it is Biden versus uh, Donald Trump, my guess is 
that Donald Trump could end up winning. In fact, I would argue that's probably the only way he can win a presidential election is to have uh, the have uh, Biden's vote, which is not he's not he's not popular. People vote for him mostly because he's not Donald Trump. Um, If 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 he had a a serious third party uh, challenge on that, that's why Democrats, I think, are justified in worrying that a, a a solid third party uh, attempt in that would give Donald Trump the election if he were the Republican nominee. So it's it's really a mess right now, and who knows how this goes. And I think it's still possible that, uh, that both uh, Joe Biden not run because of a health issue or something else that comes up, and uh, – because and Donald Trump may not because of his legal issues, or Republicans may turn around and end up nominating somebody else. But it doesn't look like that right now. And incidentally, because of Joe Biden's health issues, and because Donald Trump, even if he were to win, could end up perhaps being convicted in Georgia and having to go to jail, the notion of who is your vice presidential candidate is more important in this coming 2024 election than we've ever seen it because it's highly possible that the vice president, whether it's a Democrat or the Republican, could end up uh, finishing the term. Wow. A lot, a, a lot to a lot to think about and consider. Uh, and, and, and the you know, you don't have to have a no labels party to sway the election because uh, it, it, I've seen some evidence that, that, that Cornell West uh, may yes. uh, swing enough votes in some places to uh, shift um, who wins? The Green, the Green Party uh, arguably cost Hillary Clinton the election in 2016, and arguably cost Al Gore the election in the uh, in 2000. Mm-hmm. So yes, the Green Party can siphon enough, uh, just in itself, can siphon enough votes off of the uh, uh, off the Democratic uh, candidate to cost the Democrats the election. And Joe Biden has been running as a very progressive candidate, so mm-hmm. it's 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 hard to know whether or not um, uh, Cornell West could siphon enough, assuming he is the Green Party presidential candidate, whether he could siphon enough away because Joe Biden has done his has done his ch- task of being a progressive presidential candidate, even though he ran to be a moderate yeah. president. He hasn't done that yet, as you know, as I'm aware, because I deal with it every day. Uh, nothing he does seems to satisfy the extreme left or the extreme green wing of the party. Um, if he he can lock up public lands from oil and gas, but he allows a pipeline, that's it. He's the worst yeah. president ever. Uh, he, he's betraying us. Uh, he uh, blocks two mines, but he allows one to go for. Ah, oh, he's betrayed us. We can't trust this guy. And of course, yes. uh, there are some labor groups uh, that held their, you know, held their nose and voted for him last time. But it's not clear to me they're going to do that this time because of uh, how he's uh, doing with uh, the green energy stuff, allowing imports when he promised that they would get those jobs. So. Right. So, yeah, it's it's uh, a third party candidate could end up taking Biden out and giving the uh, the presidency to the Republican candidate, which would likely right now would look like Donald Trump. But a lot can happen between now and then. Yep. Yep. So it turns out, though, it's not just presidential fortunes that could be affected by a third party or independent candidate. So could the Senate. 
Kristen Cinema um, mm-hmm. from uh, from Arizona. She was a Democrat. She ran as a Democrat, was selected, uh, but she has broken with the Democratic Party. I think most of the time she still votes with them, but she declared herself an independent. She mm-hmm. has uh, voted against them on more than one occasion or held up stuff that she didn't like. Now, she's running again, but she's being challenged by both the Democrat who who has his problems and a Republican who uh, I don't know much about, but may have his or her problems. What's at stake there, and would you care to handicap this race? Well, um, I, Arizona has been a red state for years, at least on presidential elections, but it has been turning blue for two decades. Those people who say Donald Trump could not have lost Arizona are just flat wrong. Um, it had a Democratic uh, governor for two terms in the mid in the 2000s, and they've elected two Democratic senators. Though one of them now has become a uh, 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 an independent. So, it, it's it's it, my sense is Kirsten Cinema is popular in the state, and it's a basically a split state right now. So you could you could conceivably have the Republicans and the Democrats run against her, and she draws enough of both of those parties plus the independents to actually win. So I, it, people are going to try to write her off. I would not write her off. She, she's turned out to be a very sharp um, senator and knows what she's doing. So she, it's, it's, it's hard to challenge Republicans and Democrats, but at least in Arizona, I think she has a chance. And because it is turning more uh, independent-minded, I think she might very well win. Well, who, if if she were not to win, which party do you think she'd take the most votes from? Uh, I'm going to say probably the Democrats, though they are criticizing her significantly. She still has voted with her with them on most cases, but as you point out, she has uh, she along with Joe Manchin have been sort of the two thorns in uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer's side for the past couple of years because they want to try to – they are not as far left as the party has moved. Yeah. So, Merrill, in closing, any final points you'd like our listeners to take away from our discussion today and tell them how you can be reached at IPI or how to follow you? Well, I think I'd go back to something you mentioned. Elections matter. And it is very important for uh, for people who are who want to vote to find a candidate that is a good candidate who can also win. Um, we've been put at least Republicans have been putting up some candidates that have have a very difficult time winning. And if they want to if they want to take control of the uh, White House, they have to put up candidates who can win. And I just mentioned uh, the since ni- nineteen in nineteen eighty eight. George Herbert Walker Bush won the majority of the popular vote. Since 1988, there has been one Republican, one presidential candidate Republican, who has won the majority of the popular vote, and that was George W. Bush in 2004. Republicans have got to turn out, and they've got to vote for a candidate who can win. You, you, the elections are decided by the Electoral College, but if you don't have the popular vote, uh, time and time again, you're not going to hold the White House very long. As far as IPI, uh, we people can find us at IPI.org. We are a nonprofit research institute, commonly called a think tank. We have a lot of material available there online for people to consume and share free of charge. 
Well, Merrill, it's been good to speak with you. I hope we do it again soon. In the meantime, I want to thank you for coming on the show on behalf of myself and our listeners. Thank you. Listeners, thanks for checking in on us today. Please check Heartland's website as we continue to follow the work of Merrill Matthews, Jr., Ph.D., and the work of other analysts at the Institute for Policy Innovation. Please also continue to follow us as we track the progress of energy and environmental laws and regulations that affect you. Also, if you're not already receiving these podcasts daily on your favorite device, go to iTunes and subscribe. And when you have the time, please rate our podcast on iTunes so you can help us expand the reach of free market ideas. You might also jump on our Climate Change Roundtable live stream every Friday on your favorite social media streaming service where Anthony Watts, Linnea Lucan, and myself, and the occasional guests discuss the climate topic of the week, or topics of the week, usually. Complete with taking questions from viewers. Thanks. Take care and bye.